Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows is an education-inspired podcast bringing innovation to professional development. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows, an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and anyone vested in the world of education. I am so excited to be bringing you two very bright, brilliant men today. Um, I look up to them so much. Uh, They are so involved when it comes to politics and what's on the horizon for our school and kind of just community engagement all around. Uh, Today, I've got Todd Thompson and Brant Kale, uh, both Epic Charter School employees, and we are talking about uh, policy chat. The policy chat is going to happen every fifth Monday uh, of the month. And so any month that there's a fifth Monday, we're going to have Brant and Todd on here to talk with us. Uh, to, to kind of just inform us of what we should know, what's kind of on the horizon and, and uh, where that leaves us as a school and as a school district. Uh, Todd, talk to me about um, where you're like, how did you get into politics? And then what made you bring that uh, knowledge base and those skills to Epic? Okay, well, one, thanks for having me on the podcast, Aaron. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, oh, 13, 14 years ago, I was working with the fellowship of Christian athletes and I got a call, uh, in the middle of a junior high FCA meeting and I took it for some reason and they were asking me, Hey, have you ever thought about running for office? There's an open seat in, uh, in the Ada area. That's where I live. And would you consider it? And they wanted me to decide in a month. It took me eight months because it <laughs> terrified me. Uh, because you know, everything that you think about a politician, um, just it, it intimidated me and having to answer questions and everything. Uh, but I really believe that I was supposed to run. I ran, had the closest race in state history, or at least one of them. I, I, uh, lost by two votes. Uh, we had a recount of all 10,000 or so votes and I won by two. Two votes. Uh, okay, world. Two votes. You hear it all the time. It's, you know, but it's it's like one of those myths, uh, you know, one by a vote. Todd Thompson has done it. He did it by two votes. That's crazy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, really strange, uh, you know, whole moment in my life. Uh, luckily, I wasn't wise enough to know that I should be nervous uh, since I was so green in the process. But I got involved, and because of my connection with FCA, they put me on education committee. I I immediately was appointed vice chairman of the education committee back then, and throughout my entire career, I was either chairman of higher education, but I've always been on just the common education policy um, for my whole 12-year career. And um, when I turned out uh, back in 2018, I was done with my political career, um, really wasn't sure what I was going to do. Epic approached me, and they had been watching me uh, during during my time at the Capitol. Uh, didn't always agree with everything that I did, but they appreciated that I was uh, pragmatic and that I considered that I seemed independent. I wasn't 
real one way or the other that I would address things on an individual basis. And they asked me to come, uh, one, because they know that Epic, you know, has some challenges with legislators educating them on exactly what Epic's doing. They have, they hear a lot of different, um, stories about Epic. They're told a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, tales about how Epic work, what, what Epic does. And so we, we, Brant and I get the opportunity to, to share with them really what the reality is. And, and more importantly, introduce them to teachers and principals and parents that are actually a part of it so they can share their story. That is awesome. And and Brant, how about you? How did you get involved? And then what brought you to Epic? Well, I, I, I started getting involved when I was in college. I actually had an internship with a uh, lobbying firm. And that was my first introduction to working around state government or working around politics in general. But I, I fell in love with it and uh, kind of pursued that ever since I left college. And I, I took uh, several jobs. I, I worked for uh, Congressman Dan Bourne as a, a field rep back in my hometown of Claremore, Oklahoma. Uh, worked for the Oklahoma Center for Nonprofits for a while, uh, but always wanted to get back into state government and, and, and political work and uh, took a job with the Oklahoma Insurance Department. So I've kind of uh, kicked around state government uh, for the majority of my career. Uh, finally landing back at that uh, lobbying firm that I, I internship I had an internship when I was in college. Uh, Bobby Stem is the founding member of that firm and worked for three years as a lobbyist, uh, as an associate lobbyist with that group. One of the people that we lobbied for was Epic, and um, about three years ago, they uh, reached out to me as someone that they kind of worked with on the side and the periphery. and said that we were looking to hire someone to come on, on full-time to help with community relations work and communications work for Epic. And uh, kind of knowing my skill set a little bit and what I've been involved with, they, they, they hired me out from uh, uh, the lobbying firm to come over and work for them directly for the school. So I've been with Epic for around three years and uh, loved it. Um, my, uh, my family were all educators. So I kind of came a little bit from the background of an education family, but never expected to come and work full time for a school system, but was very fortunate enough to uh, get to meet Ben and David and, and other members of the administration of Epic and loved what they were doing and, and, and just uh, saw an opportunity to get involved in, in, a, in a cause that's, uh, that's worthwhile. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this sounds horrible, but lobbying is not necessarily always uh, a worthwhile cause. Sometimes it's just about getting something accomplished, but uh we get to we get to fortunately we get to do a good deed when we're working for Epic. Uh, it's a it's a worthwhile organization. So that that has been a nice uh, addition to to my career and and uh, and for my family. So that's been that's been great. That is awesome, and I admire you guys so much. I knew around eighth or ninth grade that like history was my subject, but when I took government, and I think it was the the eleventh grade. Uh, it just changed everything. I nobody in the class liked it, but I was just geeking out the whole time. And so I, I just love, well, how the sausage gets made. Honestly, like I, I love how things work together, and it's not always pretty, but um, it is always uh, just an interesting process. And so whenever we started 
this school and people started, I mean, hating for, for lack of a better word. Um, it, it, it drove me insane because I knew what we were doing and I knew the good that we could accomplish and I knew the potential that this school had. So I'm just so pleased that you guys are there and you're setting the record straight. Uh, I think, I mean, not to the fault of anybody, but would you say that, um, and especially Todd, uh, well, both of you guys, legislators are busy, yeah? Yeah, I think the one thing that you understand or that you learn whenever you get uh, in the Capitol is that each legislator comes with, you know, a specific uh, background, history. Maybe they come from insurance or they're a lawyer or maybe they're a teacher or whatever. So they, 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 they have one area of life that they understand. The problem is, is that whenever you're a legislator, you have to um, make decisions about all aspects of life that, that deal with Oklahoma and things that there are jobs out there that I didn't even know were jobs. Yeah. Uh, there, are, there are industries out there that I didn't even know were industries until you get into the state government. And you're expected to be an expert on each one of those possible things that everybody has been involved in because they went to school and so they think they know a little bit uh they care about it but when you really drill down very few legislators really know the ins and outs uh not only just about of how their school system works about it's how it's funded but then you bring something like epic that is such an out-of-the-box model uh, the first reaction is fear to the change and a negative because it has to be something wrong. And so they don't have the education to know any better. And because it operates under, a, I mean, under a whole separate guideline, I mean, there, there's a whole separate entity that, that manages virtual schooling. Uh, the rules are just different and people don't realize that. Uh, I think it's, it's, so important that you guys are there. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do with, especially this fifth Monday, this policy chat, um, I relied heavily when I was an educator for other people to give me my information. Um, and when you do that, sometimes you're not the most informed or sometimes you're informed wrong, you know? Um, and so, Part of the purpose of this policy chat and, and keeping in communication with you guys and, and you guys helping us know what's going on at the Capitol is, um, I would say that, I mean, a, a large chunk of our um, our state does the same thing. We rely on the media or somebody else to tell us kind of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And um, and I thought, what better way to let the world, especially our parents, our students, our teachers know what's going on than, than you two who are, are out in the trenches doing it. Um, what do you think a parent who is coming to Epic this year, whether it's for pandemic or whether they made the change because it was just time to make the change, what's something that you think that they should know about maybe your role or their role in in the voting process, which is a pretty broad question. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I'll let Brent, since I just answered, I'll let Brent go first and then I can answer. Thank you. The, the, the one thing I would say is that signing up to be a parent for Epic uh, uh, is going to make you an advocate uh, for our, our school model. 
Um, there are plenty of organizations and entities that, that are somewhat hostile to our school system and, and what we've done. And we've had a tremendous amount of growth, especially during these times of uh, uh, the coronavirus. So you, uh, whether you want to or not, you have become an advocate for a, a, a school model that is not traditional and uh, has come under fire. So I think it's important for families to really tell their story and, and to, to let legislators know and, and other members of their community why they chose EPIC, what, what brought them to the school system, uh, what, what challenges were they facing, what, 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 what solution did we bring to the problem that, that EPIC became the, the school model for their children. Um, once again, we're, we're, we're in the media an awful lot. Uh, sometimes uh, positively, sometimes negatively, but everyone kind of, uh, when they sign up for Epic, also signs on to be someone who's going to be questioned about some of those school choices. So I think that um, being receptive and, and paying attention to what's happening during the legislation, I'm, we have an election coming up this next week on um, primary runoffs. So things like that, our, our families uh, need to be involved and engaged and, and, and active in their communities. And, um, it's uh, it's it's kind of a requirement of all of us at some level. Awesome. Yeah, and Aaron, if I could add to that, that the one thing you learn being at the Capitol is uh, when you step outside of all the perceptions of what a politician is, essentially it becomes relational. And the guys that and the the men and women that are serving at the Capitol, especially in our state capital, for the most part have the right intentions. They're good people. They come from just average backgrounds. And a lot of people choose to make their point with them through an attack or through, uh, you know, putting them on blast on social media or, or something like that. And really the most effective thing is a relational, personal, kind contact, uh, whether that's an email, a phone call, uh, I see you in the store, I'm not attacked. Hey, uh, the relational is such a huge factor because at the end of the day, they're just people. Uh, they don't want to admit that they don't know everything, but they don't. And mm -hmm. so when you come and tell their story, like Brant's talking about, and you put it in a personal and you're not trying to tell them how bad the brick and mortar is, you're just saying for us, this is what's right. And this is you know, what, what's going on. And I appreciate what you do, representative so-and-so or Senator so-and-so that goes so much further than the hostility. Yeah. I, one of the things I've done and I encourage as many people as possible to do is get to know your local legislator. Um, it's harder for me to get involved with, um, Lee Wright over here because he, he just seems to be a little bit busier, but I've got a very good relationship with Mark Lawson here in Creek County. And we've gone, I've gone to his office and then we've walked to the coffee shop and walked back and, and the guy and I can have conversations. We're Facebook friends. Uh, these are all things that you can do to, kind of break the ice with, with your local legislator. Again, like you said, they're real people. Um, shoot. Uh, did, did you ever see yourself being a politician? I think you said no, right? Absolutely. I was scared of it. Yeah. <laughs> so... I was terrified of it. Seriously. And, and the one thing to go along with that is that you have to look at the long game, uh, from a political standpoint. Most of us want 
immediate satisfaction. So I want to talk to my legislator and have them completely understand and agree with me right off the bat. And really for a lot of them, just like a lot of people, it is a huge hurdle to understand and even accept the model of Epic because it's, it's not normal. And so for a lot of them, you have to continue to educate them because you may have to tell them five times before they hear it once. But if you do it with a kindness, uh, you do it just persistent and with confidence, uh, essentially, eventually they, they start to go, wow, there's something to this. Right. And so everybody's different. Well, and I know, I mean, because he told me, I am his only first-hand account information about Epic. Everything else he was getting was the media or the people at other schools telling him what they thought about it. And so it's nice for him to have a more even perspective now, uh, whether it's good or bad, you know, that's up to him to decide. But um, having somebody to set the narrative straight, uh, at least, you know, give your side of the story is important. And I guarantee you those legislators want that. They want that relationship with you as well. And and just to just to add to that, what Todd was saying about the kind of the information is coming from all angles uh, to, for these legislators about a multitude of subjects. But what you also have to factor in is that if you're in the House, you're running for re-election every two years. So a portion of your time is spent with talking to people in your district, not necessarily just getting in to be a legislator, but trying to run again. And then you have people who are only there for 12 years at the maximum due, you know, due to term limits. So this is a, a – it's a continuous conversation that you have to have within your community because people uh, – just because of uh, turnover that happens at the legislature but also the nature of, of kind of constantly running for office, these individuals uh, have to continually hear about our, our message and kind of why we are choosing Epic and – and our, our experiences with it. So it, it just, uh, it doesn't stop. That's the, that's the one thing to always take away. It can't be just be one conversation. It, it has to be kind of an ongoing uh, relationship. True. And before him, it was Mark McCullough in my district. And he and I uh, would also have great conversations. The guy went to my church and we still have great conversations. Um, yeah, it, you're, you're very right about that. Uh, I wanted to kind of shift gears. There were some um, some pieces of legislation passed in this last session that uh, seemed to have a very anti-epic slant to them, um, whether they were or whether they weren't. Um, I've spent a lot of the summer uh, training different school districts on how to go virtual, and the truancy policy is one that always comes up. How do you, you know, work around this? What do you do? Um, and I was like, you know, you guys don't realize we're just as happy about this new clearing up of the truancy policy as you are or you think you are. Um, and so what are some of the things that were passed uh, this last session that may seem anti-epic that we're actually really pleased about? Brent, you want to uh, take that? I, I'll, I'll start. That You know, every session uh, begins with a kind of a, a brainstorming uh, meeting that we have internally, uh, doing a, a, a deep dive into legislation, bill searches, uh, author searches, 
trying to find the scope of pertinent legislation that kind of touches on epic and then we we kind of just see what what they say you know it, it's at the beginning is it's a very exploratory process um as the session kind of continues and and i will say again uh the coronavirus changed everything this year uh that that really uh changed a lot of what was happening at the capitol uh, our access to the capital and to and to politicians and and really uh, the amount of work that they were able to accomplish was all hampered by uh, this uh, this pandemic. But um, as session kind of began and, and as it went through the the real piece of legislation that kind of came to the the, the top of the chart was uh, 2905. While there were other bills that were talked about and discussed and other ideas and and, and they're perennial, they always come up about certain aspects of, of our school system and how it operates. Uh, 2905 was the bill that the majority of the legislation kind of coalesced around and said this will be our vehicle to kind of uh, approach certain topics. And, and, and the, the subject really became about uh, uh, in the enrollment aspect of EPIC, when tra- transfers, absenteeism, things like that. They were all kind of rolled into one piece of legislation that um, once again, all the legislators kind of coalesced around and said this will be our one vehicle. But um, that became the uh, uh, the one bill that really kind of had our interest in it. And we were fortunate enough that as that those discussions for that language was being developed, we were invited to the the, the, the table for that. And um, that's kind of a, a change for Epic a little bit. Um, being asked by legislators our opinion on pieces of legislation is kind of a transition that we've we've started to experience, uh, I would say, in the last year or two years when we have more legislators reaching out to us and saying we have ideas of of how we want to um, modify, reform uh, charter schools and and virtual charter schools, and we want your opinion on how to do it. And and so we we had an opportunity to go to the table and, and, and have conversations about all these things. As they were being developed and as they were being uh, visualized from the legislators, um, but uh, once again, the, the the one bill, and I would say the only bill that made it through the process this year was 2905, and and we were able to come to the table and and, and have conversations with legislators about how that would develop and what the language would be and how we would tackle some of those issues. So, um, uh, Todd, is there anything that you'd like to add, kind of to that? Well, I would just say that um, the the transformation for Epic, where we went from not having a voice to now being asked to be a part of the meetings, uh, that has that has been a process, but it's a significant process. And so, when a bill like twenty nine oh five comes out comes about, there are definitely things that Epic, if if they had their choice, they wouldn't have changed. But it's a compromise, which is part of that sausage-making process that you have. And what, what Epic had to do is, and we had to do, is look at the, the reality that there was going to be some kind of legislation that was going to impact virtual schools um, at some, some level last year. I mean, the, the legislature was determined to do something because they wanted to be able to say, we we brought transparency, we brought accountability, whatever. The fact that we were able to say, let us be a part of that discussion, Epic ended up compromising on some things. But the, the reality is, is that 
brick and mortars compromised on things. And typically great legislation, uh, the best legislation is when everybody walks out of the room and nobody's really that happy with exactly how it is. Um, because they've all had to give up a little bit of something and you end up with, with something that's really good. And so as you point out, Aaron, um, when we finished, a lot of the brick and mortars thought, aha, we got you uh, with this. And you're like, no, actually, you know, this is a benefit to us. I mean, we, we there's some aspects of this that, you know, put some parameters around what we do and uh, help us understand. And yes, we can. Okay. Uh, so there's, now, there are several, oh, sorry. You want to, well, all, all I was going to say, what Brant mentioned is at the beginning of the year, we look at things, keep in mind that we whittled this down to one, one bill that we were actively a part of. Let us, the legislature began with 30 to 40. And many of those bills were a direct ta attack and would, substantially cripple the model that Epic has. There are definitely legislators out there that would one, want to get rid of Epic completely or completely, um, you know, change the way that Epic can operate. So it's not Epic anymore. And that's, Go ahead. I guess that's where I was going to start shifting the conversation is, I mean, we went from, being the third largest school in the state, which in, in nine years, going from 1,100 students to being the third largest school in the state says something about the way things are going on. I mean, I, I think that that's a huge uh, uh, megaphone saying we need change out here. Then this summer, call it pandemic, call it what you want. There are, there are several districts that are just not ready to go virtual. A lot of families feel like this may be their better option. Uh, not that they're anti-public school, shoot, we're a public school, but just that they don't want their kids to be uneducated. And we've kind of got the, uh, we've kind of got the model that, that we're innovating. We're not scrambling at this moment. Why do you think that there are legislators out there who are trying to dismantle something that so many people feel uh, is the place for them or the, you know, the choice for them? Why do, why do you think that there is such an attack? You want that? Uh, I, I I will I will I'll try to answer that. I I don't I don't want to say necessarily that legislators want to dismantle us. They they're definitely legislators who have taken a stance that they don't like the idea of our model. Especially when I'm thinking of a, a, a specific example, I'm thinking of our learning fund. That has been a a, a, a Place of contention for several legislators during this year, uh, during during the years that we've operated, I should say. This isn't a new phenomenon. This is one of those perennial issues that always comes up. Someone will bring up a piece of legislation saying that we should no longer be able to pay private vendors using our publicly dedicated funding for things like uh, piano lessons or karate lessons. That that is, those are attacks on the learning fund that that happen just about every year. Um. What I would say predominantly is that there is, a, there is a contingency of a group of individuals that do not want to see change to the traditional education model. They are organizations and entities that are funded and that are, have been operating in a, in, a, in, a, in 
under the business as usual model since schools were developed in Oklahoma and have never have never changed. And we are a direct contra- contrast to that and how we operate and how how we provide our services to students. And people don't like change. That essentially, I, I would say it boils down to just they're not necessarily against ethic. What they're against is the change to the status quo. And what you find at the legislation is that the hardest thing to overcome is business as usual. That That is the default standard, and for the most part, legislators don't like to once again change the status quo because it upsets people. Change can be uh, frustrating and People are all operating under under kind of the, the guise of how things have always been done, been done and, and changes upset that. So it's it's uh, it's, it's a hard uh, thing to do to, to, to actually alter the way things are done. We've um, we are a, a direct threat to that. We are a direct challenge to that, and that is what I would say has, has been the, the the greatest kind of uh, pushback is that we, um, we we challenge the status quo. Um, I, I, but once again, I, I don't necessarily see this as an adversarial aspect. I just see it as people resisting change. And every day we operate and, and, and provide services to families that make us more and more mainstream. Uh, every day that, that we operate and that we function, we become uh, a school system that is seen as the status quo or the new norm. You know, and and every year that we get a little more, more students, I mean, our, our our student enrollment currently is north of fifty five thousand uh, students. Insane, and uh, it's by it's insane. We're we're obviously doing something that families and and students want to be a part of, and as that continues to grow and as that continues to change, we will become uh, uh, less and less like what you know. We'll, we'll have greater access, like what Todd was talking to. To these reform efforts or to these change efforts, we'll we'll have a seat at the table uh, because of our position. I would probably differ just slightly in the fact that I think there's shades of um, of opposition, and so I would definitely say that uh, there is a a level, different levels of opposition. There is a level of opposition that completely. Uh, opposes every aspect of the model of EPIC and the idea that there is something uh, that is different than the traditional public school. Uh, a lot of that comes from the pressure that the local superintendent, they're, they're a, a very influential person to a, a, uh, a legislator's political career, and they're the one, the local superintendent, and some of the teachers, principals, they're the ones that they get the, the feedback from most consistently. Uh, a lot of your superintendents are very good at um, contacting, meeting with, um, and giving an opinion to their legislator on what EPIC's doing. It's amazing how many of those superintendents are experts on EPIC uh, and, and have are able to tell legislators, here's how EPIC works, and here's why they're not, not working correctly. And one thing I learned as a legislator uh, whenever I got out is, as I went out, one of my things to do is to go out and ask teachers, tell me how you all work. I mean, I've heard, but 
tell me how it really works in the in the real world. And as I listened, I was like, now time out, that's not what I've been told for the last exactly. few years at the Capitol. I that's not that's not the model that I was told. And so there's a there's a disconnect there. And the problem with legislators is that they're listening to those educators that have a vested in, interest in protecting their turf speak to something they, they don't know about. But the legislator doesn't know that. They just assume, oh, well, superintendent so-and-so, he knows how Epic works. No, he doesn't. I, uh, so it, it's an interesting process. Yeah. I, um, as a parent, and my kids have been in Epic for all 10 years, I can say that we've been incredibly blessed by the learning fund in that my kids can play the guitar now. Uh, this is not something I would have been able to taught them, nor is it something they would have been offered at either of the school districts that they could have gone to here. Uh, it's it's a very specific instrument, and it's, it's not offered. And so I appreciate that learning fund. Um, and I've also got to say something about the way it's always been done. Um, <clears throat> this last school year, actually, my eldest daughter decided to go to a local brick and mortar. And, um, you know, if somebody wants to change our mind in this house, they have to present it to us. And so she brought us a presentation. Uh, I loved it. She basically, it boiled down to, you know, I'm 13 years old. Uh, you're my teacher. You're my Sunday school teacher. You're you're in my life everywhere. If I'm going to get independence, where do you expect me to find it? And I thought, well, dang, girl, you're you're going to the local brick and mortar. Go for it, you know. Um, where she went from her favorite subject being science to she actually when when the coronavirus hit and most schools said, hey, we're leaving grades where they're at, we freaked out because she had an F in science and part of it was on her, but part of it was on, and, and I do not bash teachers for the most part. I am a very pro teacher person, but this person, um, they haven't changed their style in probably the entire time that they've been there. They will probably retire within the next two or three years. And it's just different. And my kid went from a very research-based, experimental-based program for nine years to she's, you know, now filling out worksheets and basically doing a glorified word search. And so I get that people have problem with the way we're changing education, but dang, if we aren't changing education for the better in, in some capacities, uh, you know, I just, um, I'm, I'm against any model that takes a kid and, uh, and basically puts them in the corner and, and I know it's my kid and I apologize, but the one thing I would say, uh, going back to the learning fund, um, and it's something that I've had to kind of start thinking through since I've been a part of Epic and it's, it's really kind of, I mean, it's changed my perception because I've learned the truth. Uh, you would hope that a legislator, as opposed to saying, how dare them spend money on a kid, you'd hope that they would look at the reality and say, every school system spends money out of their budget on extracurricular activities, on, um, on different activities that our learning fund um, pays for. How cool is it 
that Epic puts the power of some of that money into the hands of the student and the parents so that they can focus on a specific instrument or so they can focus on a specific activity. Because if you're in the regular brick and mortar, if you're not a basketball player or a football player, uh, then all of that money that they're spending on extracurricular activities doesn't really benefit you if you're a rodeo person. If you're, um, you know, if you want to be a gymnast, uh, if you want to be a, you know, a, some, something different that just doesn't fit into the school model. And, and I so, don't know if you know they, this, Todd, but we have a student I'm going to interview this week who just received an an insanely prestigious award from the AAU, um, and and Epic was her vehicle of choice for school that allowed her to get this prestigious award. I'm just saying that I mean that's huge. Well, it is huge, and I think I think you see with sport changing so much. If you're a tennis player uh, or a soccer player. Colleges recruit out of the club leagues. They don't recruit out of the high school team. And so you have those kids that are they're traveling every weekend. They're a part of all that. The, the regular school model doesn't fit their schedule and doesn't help them continue what they're doing, which could be a career, which could be a college opportunity for them. And so the other thing I wanted to point out that helps me you know, in my thought on Epic is every classroom, I believe in a brick and mortar has a percentage of kid. I think we all could agree. Even the brick and mortar people could agree. There's a percentage of kid that it just isn't the right fit. They just, that teacher can't connect with them. They just, and let's say that's 10%. Let's say one out of every 10 kids just isn't, it isn't right. Well, that would be 75,000 kids in the state. Right now, Epic's not even up to 10%. We're at about, you know, 7, 8% of, of the population. So there's a lot of kids out there that still aren't being met. Uh, and so it's not like Epic is, is taking the whole brunt of all the kids. They're taking that segment of kid that it's just not the right fit for. Well, and I was one of those yeah, kids. Totally. I, um, I was put in an LD class in fourth grade and sat next to all kinds of disabilities. Uh, and it turns out with a, a misdiagnosis or a mislabeling, um, it kind of put this this tarnish, not just on my, my own personal psyche, but on school. And I ended up, I, I was a high school dropout. Uh, you know, the, the model of going and being and doing was not for me. Um, we were homeless for part of my childhood. I had to work as a kid. I mean, these are just things that did not allow me to go to school and be a good, a, a student that could excel anyway. So, well, well, time out. We need to reverse this, oh. <laughs> uh, this podcast and I need to start asking you questions. We need to, <laughs> that, that's a great story. I've got, I've got a story. That's for sure. Yeah, but a lot of our kids do. You uh, then you relate. Absolutely. Uh, you you relate and you you understand the mentality of the kid that is sitting in the classroom saying this just isn't right and as a parent for me it really hit home with me whenever I had a kid that wasn't learning and he was smart enough to know that he should know 
but nobody could explain why he wasn't learning. And all the local school was able to do is say, well, we'll put him in, uh, you know, LD classes, classes and, yeah. and try to slow pace it. And until we found somebody that said, no, we can, we were, we're going to identify what's wrong and we're going to, uh, diagnose what's wrong and we're going to educate specifically to what his needs are well that's a whole different deal i feel like it's also important it's not no one necessarily always pays attention to what's going on until it affects them directly and so when legislators finally have a direct connection to a family or to a friend or their own personal family members who who have, have these needs that epic kind of fills that's when I would say that uh, it's the most impactful, our, our messaging to them. There's a reason we exist. There's a reason we operate. And we're not necessarily here for everyone to, to come to Epic. That's never been the goal, uh, to take over education or to change things like that. But to provide services to those kids and those families in need, there, there needs to be an extra something provided for them. And, and that's definitely the, the kind of the niche that we fit is, is, is servicing those families and those children. Absolutely. Guys, I think we could probably sit here and talk for forever, but we're going to come back. We're going to do another policy chat. I've actually got questions I'm going to leave for the next time. Now, the next time we meet is November, the, the next 5th um, uh, Monday is going to be in November. It'll be the 30th. Um, we'll have uh, elections <laughs> that we can talk about all kinds of things that we can talk about. Um, why, uh, why should somebody keep tuning in to listen to these policy chats, Brant? Well, uh, what I would say is that this is uh, an evolution. What we're kind of going through on the calendar right now is primary runoffs in August, general elections in November. There's interim studies going on. What I would say is that uh, it's important to pay attention to what's going on in, in these policy discussions and what's going on with the legislation, because uh, you know if you're not paying attention, uh, uh, things will change that you might not necessarily want to see changed. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that we're going to be able to continue these conversations and, and inform people of what's going on. But most importantly, I hope everyone who has the ability will be able to go and vote uh, this next week. And uh, participate in, uh, in in government, and then um, as we move forward with the process, we'll be able to inform people on legislation and activities that have taken place and how it's going to directly impact them. Awesome, Todd. Why should people keep tuning in? Well, to echo what Brant said, uh, because we're always changing; it's always new. We're going to have new members. Uh, we're going to have a new legislature elected uh, come November. And with that, based on all the interim studies and with the new people coming in, they're going to have new ideas of how they can help Epic. Uh, and I say that quote unquote as a joke. Uh, but there will be, by the time November comes around, we'll start to hear, man, here's the potential um, negative bills that are being proposed. Here's some of the things that the thought process and it's better to be on the forefront so that if you see a legislator in the store, you can say, hey, let me tell you my story, as opposed to wait until, you know, the middle of March and uh, we're trying to s stop that train. Absolutely. So I think it's just it's just good to be informed. 
Uh, well, that's all. And the- we're really, we're really cool. We, we so, are really no, cool. Who, who doesn't want to get on this podcast with us? And listen, <laughs> I mean, this is really awesome. Thank you. Right. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit the button, the, the like button, the subscribe button to the podcast so that you're notified each time a new episode drops. If you're a returning listener, you should go ahead and rate the podcast and leave us a comment. Tune in next week where we're rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.